Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. All right, go and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. 1 Peter 5, it's my prayer today. This altar gets a lot of work this morning. So we got a few things we're gonna walk through uh, uh, through this passage as we're wrapping up 1 Peter. So we'll do this week and we'll do next week. And then the week after that, we begin 2 Peter. So we'll spend some time, five or six weeks in 2 Peter. And then it's Christmas time, so we'll do our Advent series after that. Um, I've enjoyed walking through this book of the Bible. I've read it a few times. I've, I don't think I've actually studied it in this depth. So I've enjoyed it. I hope you have too. I hope it's met you uh, where you are. If you need some more information on First Peter, you want to study more, you're that kind of guy or gal that you'd like to have more information than what um, we're, I'm giving you or whoever's giving you on the Sunday, there are resources on our website. Just go to SharonChurch.com. There's a link there that'll take you to a, a series page to give you all sorts of things, books and articles, even classes you can take. If you're into that sort of punishment, you can do that. Uh, Intake is great. You can take classes online. So that's all on our website uh, as well as we wrap all of this up today. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, just the first five verses this morning. Um, but I want you to imagine with me, imagine you're sitting at work, <clears throat> you're in your cubicle, or you're at your desk, or you're driving your truck or whatever, you get a phone call, or uh, a boss comes into you, and he or she hands you a job description. And some of you would be like, I've been here 25 years, Why do, I don't need this, I've, I've been doing just fine. And they would say, have you though? Have you been doing just fine? But they'll give you the job description. And you read it over, and some of us, we like job descriptions. We think this is amazing reading, so we're reading through it. And so you read it, and then the boss says, hey, um, listen, uh, we've got a company meeting after this. I want you to stand up and read your job description to everyone that's in the company. Would you do that? Imagine, imagine that happens at your workplace. Well, I want you to know that's what's happening here today for me. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4 is the job description of a pastor or an elder. So what I've been asked to do today, God said, hey, Jeremy, um, why don't you read the description that I've given to you and the rest of the elders and pastors? I want you to read that out loud to people and then teach it to people in such a way then that they know what your job is supposed to be. In such a way that when you aren't doing your job, they're gonna call you out for it. Would you do that today? And I was like, I, you know what? Let's just go over it. Let's just pass that one. Let's just pass verses one through four. But this passage today is that. It's the job description of an elder or of a pastor. This is the job description. So we're gonna read these verses. We're gonna do one through five because verse five is the job description of the church member. So I like that part better. So we'll spend more, I'm just kidding. We're gonna get to that. Um, but we're gonna do verses one through four. Then I wanna talk about verse five. And I know this, here's what I know today. I know that if you've been in church for any period of time, you've been hurt by a pastor. And I know that's across the board. And I know that uh, I've been in ministry for close to 15 years now, and I know that I have hurt people. It tears me up to know that I am the cause of hurt for people. But I will say this, there's not a perfect pastor. Daryl's the closest I've ever met, but there's not a perfect one. So there is hurt, we are human, but in the very same way, uh, that God has given a calling to the elder, to the pastor. Anyone who bears that title has that responsibility. There is an elevated calling which comes with um, an elevated expectation for them. 
in our culture, we, uh, particularly in this season, we distrust leadership, don't we? We don't trust anyone. I don't care if they're a doctor, I don't care if they're a president, I don't care uh, if they're a rocket scientist, I don't care if you're a surgeon. We're in a state right now where a surgeon would wanna perform brain surgery and we would say, no, 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 but I, I Googled it, Let me, I'll handle it from here. We don't trust leadership and that has made its way into the church and in some cases, rightfully so, has made its way into the church. So I understand that some of us have hurt and pain, some of us have distrust of leadership. And so this passage though is God's call on a man as a pastor. It's not man-made. This is what God has for them. So I want us to walk in that today. Let's read these verses, and then I'll um, try to teach through it this morning. First Peter chapter five, verse one. So, or therefore, in light of verse four, about, or chapter four of suffering coming to the church, particularly into the church, on the household of God, he says, therefore, I exhort, I encourage the elders among you as a faithful elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd, circle that word, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I am growing, as I get older, more and more personally burdened by the lack of true pastors in our churches today in America. I don't know that our, most of our churches have pastors as much as they have CEOs and leaders. Breaks my heart to know that hundreds and thousands of people sit under a man who should shepherd and care for them, who is actually using that platform for his selfish gain. It breaks my heart uh, to have this to be true. These verses one through four are about the accountability and expectations of a pastor an elder. I'll talk more about how that is set up for us as a church. What I hope today is that you understand that accountability. Secondly, uh, that there's healing that happens for some of us today. I know it's Daryl's heart and our elder's heart. It's a prayer for us as a church that we help to heal people with what's been broken in them through the power of the Spirit. I'm praying for that today. And then quite honestly, here's what else I'm praying for today. I'm praying that God would call some men in the room today to be pastors. I'm praying that students would come to the call of pastoring churches. That's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for other ones of us who have ran from the call for years, and I don't care how old you are. The call of God is the call of God, and you don't run from it. He catches you. And it's my prayer today that God would raise up and begin to call and affirm calling on some of our hearts today into ministry, particularly into pastoral ministry today. That's all my cards on the table. Now, this church, the churches that Peter is writing to are under suffering. Immense, intense persecution is coming. It's on its way. It's begun to make its way into uh, the churches and into the homes of the people who go to those churches or part of those churches. But what I need you to understand is that the pastor carries a double burden of suffering. When you suffer, we suffer with you, or we should. 
when you hurt, when your marriage is struggle, when your kids are going crazy, when your parents are going crazy, when everything is falling apart, when you're sick and in the hospital, when you're grieving, I, you need to know that that suffering that you feel, we feel it too, or at least we should. And so there's a double burden for Peter, what he understands for the elders here, that while their churches are undergoing persecution, they're personally undergoing persecution. They're feeling the double burden of it. So he exhorts or he encourages them in this season. Now I will say this, there is nothing like the role of a pastor. Nothing. And we can try to worldify it and make him a leader, make him a CEO, make him a, a culture maker and a visionary. The truth is biblically, there's nothing like being a pastor. It is a unique role, uniquely defined and set aside for particular people, not, not based on skill, but based on calling. But this role of being a pastor is not duplicated anywhere else in the world. It's, it's a bit of everything. It's, it's a bit of being a dad. It's a bit of being a doctor. It's a, it's a bit of being a funeral home director. It's, it's a bit of being a counselor. It's a bit of being a boss or a CEO. It's a bit of all of that. But being a pastor is a uniquely biblical idea and uniquely biblical role. There's nothing like it. And in my studying over the past few weeks, you know that there are Christian leaders who want to do away with the word pastor. Who want to do away with it. Who believe the idea of being a shepherd is antiquated and won't work in the next years. I don't believe a pastor is a culture setter or a thought leader or a visionary or a CEO. He is a shepherd. He is a pastor. You cannot use the world's means to get to God's ends. Too many pastors are calling themselves leaders and using worldly wisdom to gain godly advances. It cannot happen. You know what book we have of how to become a good pastor? This one, this is it. How do you lead a church? This. I don't care what the Forbes uh, 500 people say. I wanna know what this says. How do we lead? How do we pastor? How do we shepherd? How do we care? This is how we do it. And while there's nothing like a pastor, I believe there's nothing like a church. The church is uniquely set apart. She's not a country club. She's not a community service organization. She's not a political organization. She's not an education system. The church is a family. The church is a community, an assembly of the called out believers of God. There's nothing like the church, which makes this whole thing a bit unique because what you've chosen to do today is not because you're getting paid for this. It's not because you get something out of coming to church today. The reason why you've come to church today, I pray, is because you love the Lord so much that you wanna become more and more like him as much as you can. And so that's why you've come today. And what we're gonna learn here in verse five is that what you've chosen to do in becoming a member of a church is that you have willingly submitted yourself to the authority of a leader. That's what you've done, or leaders in our case. I don't know if you recognize that, but you've done that. And we've got your blood samples and DNA everywhere, so we know how to handle uh, those. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> There's nothing quite like the church. Now, again, pastors, leaders, have broken our hearts, have, have crushed people's faith, have created great distrust in who the Lord is. I've been a part of that. But that's not an excuse for us to not to submit to what God has called us to do and to be. G.K. Chesterton says this, he says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. 
it has been found difficult and left untried. Our issue is not that the church has failed us or that a pastor has failed us. It's not that, it's not that we've tried everything God has and we're too broken and we can't do it ever again. The problem for us is that actually following Jesus is hard and we just stop. Actually being a pastor is hard and people just stop. Actually being a church member is hard and we just stop. So I wanna elevate this call today for us today. Now, uh, 1 Timothy 3, if you're taking notes, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 will give you biblical qualifications of what it means to be an elder or a pastor or overseer. That'll be in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Don't have time to get into all of that today, but you can look at that. What we're gonna look at today is a little bit different, more of the how of a pastor. We're gonna look at who is a pastor, what does a pastor do, how should a pastor do that, and why should they? Biblically, there are three different words that are a bit interchangeable when it comes to what we know of our role as a pastor. You'll see the word elder. Elder speaks to a pastor's maturity, not necessarily by age, but even in spiritual maturity and wisdom. It's what an elder is, what the Bible calls pastors elders. The second word you might see is bishop or overseer, and that speaks to the pastor's responsibility to oversee, to see to the end. And then we see the word shepherd or pastor, and that speaks to the ministry of the pastor. So let's dig into this passage. I'm gonna try to move quickly to get us through it, but there's a lot here to unpack. First Peter chapter five, verse one, so. Therefore, because persecution and suffering has come to the household of God, first Peter 4, 17, because it's come first to the church, Peter recognizes the need then to remind the leaders of the church, the local church, that it's coming for you first. It's coming for you. This word elder here is the Greek word presbyteros, where we get the idea of Presbyterian. The Presbyterian denomination is led by a presbytery, which means it's a group of elders who lead the church. Now, uh, we're traditionally a Baptist church, but we function in much the same way. We have a group of men appointed that have been called elders to lead our church. We do not have a single man as the leader of our church. Our senior pastor is Jesus, and we have a group of elders who function underneath that. This is the idea of elders. He calls them elders. But because they're suffering, and the suffering will first come to the household of God, Ezekiel 9.6 says that uh, when persecution came there, that they began with the elders who were before, who were in charge of the house. When suffering comes upon the church, you know who it comes upon first? The pastor. When persecution comes to the church, you know where it comes first? is to the pastor. When suffering comes to your family, you know who it hits first? Your father. In much the same way, he's, he reminds the pastors, this is coming for you. And because of suffering and persecution, the need here for mature leadership is important for the spiritual health of these local churches. Purification begins with the eldership. Now, he refers to himself as a fellow elder. Remember back in chapter one, Peter called himself an apostle. An apostle in that time would have been someone who sat over a number of elders. An apostle was someone who planted churches, spread the message of, of God, and he calls himself an apostle in that sense, but also in, in the true capital A apostle sense that, that he saw Jesus and was sent by Jesus. Peter has every right to assert his authority as an apostle here, and yet he chooses to call himself a fellow elder. What he's saying is, I get it, men, I get it. 
I'm in the trenches with you. I wanna remind you, not as, not as someone who's removed, not as a professor who's training freshmen to become something, but as someone who's in it with you. I wanna remind you, elders, I wanna remind you. But he uses this phrase, among you. And we'll come back to this in a bit. Circle it, highlight, I think this is crucial for us. I exhort, I encourage the elders among you. This is being read to the entire church, and the church is hearing, I exhort, the elder, I exhort these men who are among you as a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker in the glory is going to be revealed. Whole sermon, don't necessarily have time today. Verse two, this is the exhortation to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This word shepherd is the only command in this entire passage. What is an elder or a pastor called to do? He's called to shepherd. Now, if you have the King James, the word says, feed the sheep that are among you. Feed the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd is a complex term, so I'm just gonna break it down to three different things. To shepherd is to feed, to lead, and to care for or protect. That's what a shepherd does. He feeds the sheep, he leads the sheep, and he cares for or protects the sheep. That's what a shepherd does. It's the only imperative, the only command here is to shepherd. And notice who Peter says to shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God. He doesn't say shepherd your flock. Shepherd first Baptist. Shepherd the flock of God. These are God's sheep that he's entrusted to your care. You know how God feels about his sheep? When Saul is persecuting Christians and Jesus meets him on his road to Damascus to kill more Christians. Jesus meets him, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Earlier in Acts, Luke tells us that he was persecuting the church. So which is it, the church or is it Jesus? And Jesus says, if you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. You hurt her, you're hurting me. Jesus cares deeply for the church and he has left the church in the care of the shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God and shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd your flock. Crosby, Stills, and Nash would say, love the one you're with. Problem for many pastors today is that they want to shepherd a church that's not their own. They're trying to shepherd everyone's church. They're trying to shepherd the world's church. They want to shepherd through YouTube and through podcasts and social media, and they've neglected the flock of God among them. The call is clear to Peter. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, the one that is near to you. Love the one you're with. Shepherd them, lead them. I've given you this flock to care for. I haven't given you uh, the church down the road. I haven't given you the church overseas. I've given you this flock. I've given you these people with, with their brokenness and their hurts and their bumps and their warts and bruises. I've given you them. Shepherd this flock. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. What is a shepherd called to do? He's called to love, to feed, lead, and care for the sheep in front of him. The ones in front of him. But he says this idea of among you. Earlier he called, said that the elders were among the church. One big problem I see in churches today is that the shepherd, the pastors, are not among the people. They live an hour away on purpose. They live in places their people will never know. The people don't know their phone number. They don't know their email address. They don't know their address. They have disconnected themselves from the people. We are to shepherd the flock of God that is among us. The elders should be among you. You should know us. 
you should know our kids. You should know that we're doing the best we can to raise our kids, but you know how kids are. You should know. I should know you. I should know what teams you root for. I should know uh, the places your kids go to school. I should know the pain you're feeling. I should know what you're walking in. Daryl should know, or Cody and Micah, uh, Joel, Jeff, we should know those things from you. Not because you have to tell us, because we're so immersed in your life that we just know. Because we aren't above, we are within. It's been said for many, many years that a shepherd should smell like the sheep. It's my fear today that many shepherds don't smell like sheep at all unless it's bougie sheep, and then they smell like that, and that's totally fine. <laughs> shepherd should smell like his sheep. The shepherd is to shepherd, is to care for, to feed, lead, and protect the flock of God that's among them. Now, this word for Peter takes him back to John chapter 21. Peter has denied Christ three times. Christ has been crucified. He's resurrected. Peter feels shame. Jesus, a number of days later, meets him on the beach. And he has breakfast with him, a fish breakfast, which sounds disgusting. But he had that with them, with Peter. And he pulls Peter to the side. And then he asks him three times to remind him of the three times that he denied him. Do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. The second time, Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, well, then tend my lambs. And then Jesus says again, do you love me, Peter? And Peter, frustrated, says, yes, you know all things. Of all people, you should know. And Jesus says, okay, then feed my sheep. In order to feed sheep, we have to love Jesus. A pastor who does not love Jesus is unqualified to be a pastor. Prerequisite in feeding sheep is that we love Jesus. So this takes him back, and Peter understands this conversation. So to feed is the idea of biblically based teaching. One commentator said that we have to offer fresh bread to our people. Do you know that if I wanted to, I could Google sermon from 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, and then just print it off and read it to you? Do you know that? Do you know there are companies who make money writing sermons for pastors? They pay a subscription that they might then have a sermon ready for them because according to these companies, that way they don't have to labor in teaching and studying. That's evil. That's what that is. We are to labor in this. This is how we feed the flock. It's how we, it's how we feed our sheep in this very way. It's biblically-based teaching. But if, if the church is among us, that biblically-based teaching must be church-specific, which means I have to, Daryl has to, we have to take into account what is our church fighting? What are, what are we facing? And then we teach towards that end. We see the combination of, of biblical teaching and the context of our church, and that's the sweet spot in which we teach. This is the call to shepherd, to feed the flock of God that is among us. Now, we are to feed sheep, not build an organization, not lead a company. The primary calling of a pastor is to feed sheep. Jeremiah 3.15, God says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. 2 Timothy 4, 1-4, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you, Timothy, young pastor, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching because a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. You know what can happen today? You don't like the way I teach? Get on your podcast app tomorrow. Plenty of churches. What Paul is telling Timothy is, you know what's gonna be hard about sound teaching is that people won't like it. He says they will pursue these teachers, verse four, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. James 3, one, James says that not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. The call of a pastor is to shepherd and to shepherd you have to feed the sheep. So we endeavor to feed the sheep. Secondly, you have to lead. There's a difference between she- uh, shepherds and cattle ranchers. Sheep are led from among themselves. It's how they are led by the shepherd. The shepherd is among the sheep. A cattle rancher stays behind and whips and provokes the cattle into a pen. Shepherds are not leaders as cattle ranchers who whip and prod from behind. We are like shepherds who are in the midst of the sheep, walking with and leading to. This is what shepherds are. And then we are to care and protect. And what do we protect you from? We protect you from false teachers. And we can't protect you from false teachers if we are a false teacher. We protect the church from false ideologies and false beliefs. And we do that from large group teaching, we do that in small groups, and we do that in counseling. We meet with people, our doors are open. And we must be bold in the word. I charge you, he says, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And then how does he charge them to do it? By exercising oversight. Oversight is the Greek word um, episkopeo, which sounds a lot like episcopal. The word there means bishop. The episcopal denomination is built on this idea. A bishop is someone who looks over. A shepherd sees everything. He, He sees the game plan. And the shepherd sees where he's taking and where God has called him to take the sheep. He he sees the pasture land in front of them. He knows that we're walking through the valley, but what he sees ahead of them is where he is taking the, the sheep or the flock. This is what a shepherd is called to do as an overseer, that he would see towards the end, which I think you have to understand. Now, Daryl has said this to me a few times. Even as staff, we have to understand what we are in charge of is not the most important thing. Listen, I I know that you have preferences and you have things that you like and don't like. Our job is not to make you happy. Our job is to make you healthy. So yeah, the thing that you're going through is the most important thing to you. And if we're gonna exercise oversight, which means we can't just see you, we gotta see all of it and we gotta see where we're going. So that's, that's what it means to bishop, to oversee. So how do they shepherd? How do they lead, feed, lead, and care? Well, they exercise oversight. Secondly, though, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Being a pastor is not a have to, but a get to. This is the best thing in the world to me. I love what I get to do. For a season where God took that from me, and I thought I wouldn't ever again, I have to tell you, I love getting to do this. What a gift it is that this is what God's called me to do and I get paid for it. What a gift to shepherd 
to teach and lead and care for it. And you, to, to do this with you, what a gift it is. I don't want to be anywhere else in the world than right here today. This is where I want to be. I love this. I love what we get to do. I love that my family gets to do it. I love this for us. I love elders meetings. I love staff meeting. I love it. I love that we sit there for, th for three hours and get nothing done. I love it. I do. Like I, I cannot wait to come to the office. I love it. I love it. It's my prayer that I always love this. I, I want this to bring joy to me. I, I love it. It's not a have to for a pastor. It's a get to. And there are parts that aren't enjoyable, but I get to walk with people in grief and pain. I get to do that. I get to be a number you text and call when you're struggling. I get to be that. It's a gift, not under compulsion, but willingly. A pastor who leads out of compulsion will lead through compulsion. A pastor who feels like he has to do things will make his church feel like they have to do things. I love leading with Daryl and our staff and elders because they are these people. They just love what they get to do. Now, a pastor should not be a clock watcher or a box checker. If a pastor is counting down to hours, and minutes until five o'clock on a Tuesday so he can go home, that's not a pastor. It's not out of compulsion. Also, a pastor should not be lazy. Compulsion creates laziness. Desire creates passion. Charles Spurgeon says, if you plan to be lazy, there are plenty of avocations in which you will not be wanted. But above all, you are not wanted in the Christian ministry. The man who finds the ministry an easy life will also find that it will bring a hard death. that I want God to call some of you to be pastors. And I just said that, so there's that. A pastor who becomes a pastor because the schedule is easy is not a pastor. A pastor who becomes a pastor because he gets to golf twice a week is not a pastor. It's not easy. Laziness has no place in the church, particularly in Christian leadership. And you can give me scripture all day long that tells me you have to rest and I will say this to you. Do you love Jesus and do you love the sheep? Laziness has no place in the church. And then he finishes that phrase with as God would have you. Notice, not as the deacons would have you, not as the church would have you, not as your wife would have you, not as the world or culture would have you, as God would have you. Galatians 1.10, who am I to please? Am I to please God or to please man? The elder is to please God above all, as God would have you. And when God would have you lead, there would be joy there. He continues, a pastor should shepherd, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The King James says filthy lucre, which sounds awesome. It's the idea of blood money. A pastor shouldn't pastor for blood money for what he gets out of it. Jude 1 12, or Jude, uh, verses 12 through 13 says, these, these men are hidden reefs. They're hidden cracks at your love feast. They feast with you without fear. They're shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Those are pastors who pastor for shameful gain. Ezekiel 34, two through six, son of man, God tells Ezekiel, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. 
prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? But you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them, so my sheep were scattered. Because there were no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and because my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, because there was no shepherd, because my shepherds have not looked for my sheep, but they fed themselves. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, I am against the shepherds. How does the Lord feel about shepherds who work for, for shameful gain? He is against them. Shameful gain uh, might be financial. There are plenty of pastors using the platform for financial gain, but it's not always financial. Sometimes the shameful gain is pride and power, prestige, control, and sometimes it's to prove themselves. It's my belief that a number of people who call themselves pastors are just failed politicians and comedians. You know what they like? They like a stage, they like being important, they like having power, they like having attention. That's shameful gain. Anytime a pastor uses the church to fulfill selfish desires, instead they should do so eagerly. Verse three, how do pastors shepherd? They don't domineer over those in their charge, but as examples to the flock. Ministry is no place for entitlement, superiority, oppression, coercion, personal pressure, political lobbying, or intimidation. That's a bully, not a pastor. They don't domineer over those in their charge. Instead, they're examples to the flock. Well, examples of what? Of perfection? No. They're examples of the gospel. They're examples of the passion of restoration. They're examples of what was lost is now found. They are examples of Jesus who came to seek and save those that are lost. That's what they're examples of. John Thornton, in a letter to a pastor, said, I should recommend you're having a watchful eye over yourself, for generally speaking, as the minister, as is the minister, so are the people. Selfish pastor creates a selfish church. Domineering pastor creates a domineering church. A hungry pastor creates a hungry church. A gospel-centered pastor creates a gospel-centered church. Verse four, when the chief shepherd appears, you, pastors, you, elders, will receive the unfading crown of glory. This phrase, chief shepherd, is the only time we see anything close to the phrase of a senior pastor in the New Testament. And it refers to Jesus. The chief, the senior shepherd, the senior pastor. When he appears, pastor, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The truth is that true biblical eldership only makes sense in light of eternity. What we do as elders and pastors here doesn't make sense in the world. It doesn't make sense that we should uh, subjugate ourselves and submit ourselves to all sorts of pain and suffering for the benefit of somebody else that we get no gain from whatsoever. It doesn't make sense that we should um, take away time from our, our wives and our children 
for the good of people who may not even want us to be around. It makes no sense that we would give up other jobs that might be more lucrative to follow the Lord in this type of ministry. It makes no sense. It only makes sense in light of eternity. Without Jesus, why be a pastor? Without Jesus, why do any of this? But I would say it's because of Jesus we can't not do all of this. This is the calling of a pastor. And then verse five, likewise, you who are younger, this word younger is not particularly in age, but in subjection, you in the church is what he's saying, be subject to the elders. This phrase, be subject, you've heard it before in First Peter, haven't you? Wives, be subject to your husbands. Employees, be subject to your bosses. Slaves, be subject to your masters. Likewise, church member, be subject to the elders. Live in submission to the elders. Put yourself under the authority of the elders. Now, we don't like this part, but this is what it means to be part of a church, which is why it's very important that you're careful with what church you choose to be a part of. Find a church where you can gladly submit to the elders. Find a church where the elders have been placed there in a biblical way. Find a church in which you can submit gladly and wholeheartedly to the leadership of the elders. Doesn't mean you can't ask questions. Doesn't mean you can't have your own opinion. Doesn't mean you can't see things differently. Doesn't mean that elders don't get it wrong. But what it does mean is that in glad submission and in honor, you honor the rank. If you can't honor the man, you honor the rank. And you go to them with questions. You don't blast it on Facebook. You don't tell your small group. You go to the elders to subject yourselves to the elders. Then he um, continues here, clothe yourselves, all of you, the entire church with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What we desire, I think what the Bible desires of a church member is simply a desire to grow in your faith. Not perfect people, not people who don't have problems, not people who don't fall into temptation and fall into sin, but a people who desire to grow in faith, which means when you come to church, you don't come here as part of a country club or a community service organization. You come here to grow in your faith, which means you gladly submit to the teaching and leadership of the elders. That's all that means. It means that you love Jesus so much and you want to be like him. You, you want to be what he's called you to be. And what you recognize is the way to be who God has called you to be is to be part of a local church and you submit yourself to that. That's, that's how you subject yourself to the elders. And what's beautiful is this. When you clothe yourself with humility and the elders, we clothe ourselves with humility, then we've got a joyful church. But where there is pride, there is anger. Where there is humility, there is joy. The author of Hebrews says it this way to us church members. Hebrews 13, 17, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. A joyful church is a humble church. There's nothing like being a pastor. There's nothing like a church. To willingly and gladly submit yourself to authority 
has to be a call of the Lord. It has to be the work of the Spirit. So what we've read now then is the accountability. It's, it's the job description of the pastor. So I wanna give us a few ways to respond to this. One is gonna be a little bit unique. If there's a pastor in your life, in your past, if there's someone who has led you through seasons of pain and seasons of joy, someone who has given you biblical truth, someone who has been there when you've been at your lowest, I would say right now, get out your phone and text him and tell him thank you. Is there a youth pastor from when you were younger who was just there with you when your parents got divorced? I mean, literally, right now, you get out your phone, text him. Say, hey, my pastor told me to do this. Which is a lot like a kid saying, hey, mom said to say I'm sorry, so I'm sorry. <laughs> Let him know. Call him today. Send an email. In your past, is there someone, is there a pastor who has led you and walked with you? You know he has no idea sometimes. Maybe what you can do to encourage that youth pastor, what you can do to encourage that former pastor is just to let him know it mattered. It helped. Send him an email, send him a text. Second is this. Um, I believe there are people in the room today who have felt the call to pastoral ministry. I was 16 or 17 years old when I felt it. And I spent the next 10 years of my life running from it. Didn't make sense to me. It didn't line up with what I wanted. I had bigger dreams, so I made a deal with God. That I would become an engineer and architect and I would build Major League Baseball stadiums and I would tithe 20%. That's what I would do. And here I am. Uh, the pursuit of God you can't outrun. And if you're wrestling that call, I will tell you today, if God's called you, it's worth it. It's the most fulfilling thing you will ever find in your life. And I don't care how old you are. You might think you're too old and you're too far gone. And well, that was when I was 20 and now I'm, now I'm in my late 40s, early 50s. What can I do about it now? What can you do about it now? Well, you can shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And you can find yourself a place to serve and pastor now and wait for that time that God calls you into full-time pastoral ministry. You can. Stop running from it because you're in sin. Every time throughout scripture, when people find themselves in the darkest seasons of sin, it's because they were where they weren't supposed to be. And they weren't where they were supposed to be. So I don't know today if you feel that call. You might even just be wrestling it. I would ask you, Let's walk it together, let's pursue it. We've got staff and elders who would love to have that conversation and walk with you. The world needs pastors. The world uh, doesn't need a church CEO and a church visionary, the world needs pastors. Is that on your heart today? You feel like God's given you a call and maybe a gift to be a part of it, then let's walk it together today. I think there are some of us today who we need to let former pastors off the hook broken people who sinned against the Lord and who sinned against you and hurt you and it's not fair for you to hold that against God and hold it against the church. Just because one man got it wrong didn't mean God did. So I'd invite you to forgive and to heal. If you're wrestling with what it means to be part of a church, Sharon 101 happens today. Jeff would love to tell you what it means to be part of our church and how we're structured for you to make that decision. If you just bow your heads and close your eyes and we'll wrap up and get out of here. God, um, God has called us today. 
to this. So listen, if you're wrestling with the call to ministry, um, you can come forward up here to this altar and you can pray. You can find a pastor and ask them and talk to them. I'd love for you to have a conversation with me. You can call or text. You can stop by and see me. You can come up here right now and see me today. Maybe you need to heal from church hurt and it begins with your forgiveness of letting that person go. But maybe today what you need is the power of the resurrection of Jesus. What you need today is not a man to lead you. You need a savior to save you. As much as I love what I get to do, I can't do what only Jesus can do. He can save your weary soul. If you would admit that you're a sinner, believe that he is the savior who came to save and confess that he is Lord, you would find life in his name. And you can do it today. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the gift of the church. What a gift she is that we get to gather and do this together. We have people to do life with. We have elders who love us and care for us to feed and lead and protect us. I thank you for that. I pray for our elders. I pray for our pastoral staff. God, I pray for Daryl and for Joel and Jeff and Micah and Cody. God, I pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment, protect their hearts, protect their homes and their families. Lead and guide us today, Father. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.